Good morning, everyone. Sure is nice to see you all. It's great to be back. We had a nice week away last week. I just want to thank uh, Lee Bridgman, who did a fantastic job. Uh, he's always so good to listen to, and I hope you enjoyed him. Uh, and I'm happy to be back. We had a nice week away, and, uh, but it's always good to see your faces again. So uh, good to be back. And it's been a while since we've been in the Book of Romans, so uh, we'll be returning there today after our uh, break for our Lent, uh, or I'm sorry, our, our, uh, our Easter series that we did before, uh, before we broke. So we're going to be continuing today in the book of Romans uh, in uh, chapter 11 in a verse, uh, a message that I'm calling God is not finished with Israel. And this is Romans chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 10. Uh, so before we get into the word today, uh, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord, we are entering into a uh, difficult chapter and in some ways controversial. Uh, people have differing views about our topic over the next several weeks. And so uh, we just pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, give us grace always. Uh, Lord, we just pray that your mighty hand would be at work, Lord, uh, not only among the Jews, but among the Gentiles as well. Uh, salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, and we pray that everybody would see it. Uh, Lord, start with my heart, uh, and I pray that it carries over to others, Lord, as we study the Word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, on May 14th, 1948, uh, this man, David Ben-Gurion, who was the leader of the Jewish community uh, during the World War II years and the future Prime Minister of Israel, declared Israel to be an independent state. Now, Israel had not existed officially uh, since A.D. 70, uh, when the Romans destroyed the temple, uh, killed most of the Jews, uh, crushed a rebellion. And so for 1,900 years, uh, dispersed Jews uh, maintained their ethnic and religious identity, uh, but they had no land to call home. And so the Jewish story is really unparalleled in all of human history. Never has it happened uh, that a nation has been destroyed, virtually wiped off the face of the earth, and then 1,900 years, 2,000 years almost later, reconstituted as a nation again. In fact, during Israel's long history, uh, Jerusalem itself has been attacked 52 times. Uh, it's been captured and recaptured 44 times. It's been besieged 23 times, and it's been destroyed twice. How can we possibly explain the fact that Israel exists today? Well, the day after Israel declared its independence, May 15, 1948, uh, its neighbors, Egypt, Syria, Iraq, and others all attacked it from all sides, trying to crush Israel before it even began, and Israel survived that war. And even today, many of Israel's neighbors, as you know, refuse to acknowledge Israel uh, as a country, uh, and they want nothing more than to wipe it from the face of the earth. And that's why it was so dramatic last year when the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, which have been traditional enemies of Israel, uh, normalized relations uh, in 2020 uh, with Israel. And so uh, this little country, this, this tiny little country, uh, which is no bigger than New Jersey, 
surrounded on all sides by its enemies, uh, continues to exist against all odds. And so Israel's survival uh, is really nothing short of miraculous. Uh, and the only explanation for the fact that Jews are still existing and still uh, live now in their home country is God. Uh, Israel is God's chosen people, and God protects his people, and he fulfills his promises to them. And even though most Jews don't believe, have not believed the gospel, God is not done with Israel. Well, before we broke for our Easter series, uh, we were working our way through Romans chapters 9 through 11. Uh, and remember, at the end of chapter 8, uh, this was Paul's statement about how no one can be separated from the love of God. And that naturally begged the question then, well, what about the Jews? Most of the Jews in Paul's day did not exist or did not believe. And so uh, these were God's chosen people, and yet they did not believe. And so God's covenant people... Uh, who don't believe in the Savior that God sent. Uh, that was a problem. Uh, so God spent chapters 9 through 11 explaining, God, uh, explaining uh, God's purpose for Israel and his plan for Israel uh, in the future. And so uh, in verse 9-6, you'll remember, uh, Paul said, it's not as though the word of God has failed. And that is Paul's thesis statement for chapters 9 through 11. No matter what we want to say about what, uh, the, what, what you think God's plan for Israel is, uh, it's not that God's word has failed because God's word can't fail. God has a plan for Israel. He has a plan for the Jews. And since Israel is God's covenant people, uh, God is going to fulfill that plan uh, for Israel. Uh, so in the meantime, we just asked the question, what is the problem with Israel? Why doesn't Israel believe? And remember when we looked in chapter 9, uh, we saw that the problem with Israel on the one hand is that God is sovereign uh, and God is sovereign over election. And so God sovereignly chose Israel and God made Israel his covenant people. And God chose Abraham to be the father of this nation, uh, to be the leader of this uh, community. And he promised him land, seed, and blessings that would last forever. And descendants that would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore uh, and as numerous as the stars uh, in the heavens. But God still didn't promise to save every Israelite. He promised to save those with the faith of Abraham. And so uh, God cho chooses who he chooses, and he chooses those uh, with the faith of Abraham, and he gives those people that faith so that they have the faith of Abraham. So uh, chapter 9 is all about God's sovereignty in choosing his elect. And then moving on to chapter 10, there is the God's sovereignty side of salvation, but then there's also the human responsibility side of salvation. Salvation has always been through faith. In the Old Testament, before Jesus Christ, people demonstrated their faith by obedience to God, to his laws, and then uh, adhering to the sacrificial system when they failed. Uh, after Jesus, uh, people showed their faith by uh, receiving Jesus, the final sacrifice, uh, as their Savior. But the majority of Jews rejected Jesus, their promised Messiah. And God holds those people responsible for their decision. So we have God's sovereignty and human responsibility working side by side. They are both true, even if our human minds can't uh, reconcile those two. But right now, just like in Paul's day, most of Israel is not saved. But Israel's improbable existence uh, today proves that God is not finished 
with Israel. And so that leads us now to chapter 11, the future for Israel. Uh, and we see here in chapter 11 that Israel's rejection of God and God's rejection of Israel is not total. It's only partial. Uh, so God saved some Jews in Paul's day, and he's saving some Jews today. Uh, and that's what we see in verses 1 to 10. God's rejection of Israel is only partial. But also, as we'll see in, in the later verses in chapter 11, uh, God's rejection of Israel is not final. Uh, God has hardened Israel for a time and for a reason. Uh, it's temporary and it will only last until the full number of Gentiles comes in. And then God will come back, turn back again to Israel, and he will save them, uh, at least the, the vast majority of them. Uh, so today we're just going to look at the first 10 verses, and we'll look at three pieces of evidence that Paul presented to prove that God is not done with Israel. Uh, so... God's rejection of Israel is not total. And the first piece of evidence that we see here is that God's rejection of Israel cannot be total because God saved Paul. His rejection of Israel cannot be total because God saved Paul. Verse 11:1. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. So here's Paul's first argument. How can God have rejected all of Israel if he saved me? I'm a Jew. So it's impossible that God's rejection of Israel can be total. Uh, Paul considered the whole idea that God rejected Israel in full to, to be preposterous. He said, by no means, or your version may say, uh, may it never be, or of course not. Very strong rejections of that, uh, of that uh, thesis. So Paul was the Hebrew of Hebrews, right? If anybody could earn their way to salvation by being a good, obedient Jew, it would be Paul. Uh, and Paul was the least likely person to become a Christian because he was so zealous for the law, so zealous uh, to fulfill it perfectly. And he persecuted Christians because he thought he was doing God's work. He thought Christians were against the law. And so uh, the difference is that uh, now what Paul sees is he has met the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. Uh, Jesus knocked him off his horse, uh, blinded him, and said, uh, go into the city, and there you'll be shown what it is uh, that you are to do. So that is when Jesus changed Paul's life, and he became the greatest missionary uh, who ever lived because uh, Jesus had a plan for his life. And so Jesus redirected Paul's zeal uh, from persecuting Jews to now evangelizing Christians uh, for the sake of the gospel, even at the cost of his own life. So Paul's exhibit A is that he is not done, God is not done with Israel, because Paul himself uh, is not uh, forsaken. He is saved. So that's the first piece of evidence. The second piece of evidence is that God's rejection of Israel cannot be total because God foreknew his people. That's verse 11 too. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Now, we have talked about this concept of God's foreknowledge already when we were back in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30. Uh, theologians call these uh, links in the chain, the golden chain of salvation. Uh, now, this concept of foreknowledge means that God uh, knew beforehand. God knew beforehand and decreed in advance who would be saved and who would choose him. So foreknowledge is God's choosing 
a special and personal relationship of knowing and loving his elect before they were born. And so the chain continues. Those, those God foreknew, uh, he also predestined. And those he predestined, he chose. And those he chose, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. And so uh, theologians call this a chain because these are links in the chain and they are an unbreakable chain. So God has known his people beforehand, uh, before history began, before he created the world. But in history, God chose this man, Abraham, to be the father of this nation that he called Israel. And Abraham had faith because God foreknew him. It was God's doing. And all those who God foreknows will believe. So it's not possible for God to forsake those that he has foreknown. God's foreknowledge of his elect guarantees their salvation. And so, as we'll see later in chapter 11, God will save a large majority of the Jews in the future because God has foreknown them, just as Paul said. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. So, the second piece of evidence is that God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. He cannot reject Israel because he foreknew them. And then the third piece of evidence is that God's rejection of Israel can't be total because he always preserves a remnant. Verses 2 to 4. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Well, we'll need to remember uh, 1 Kings uh, verses, uh, chapters 18 and 19 uh, to recollect this story. Uh, remember, Elijah had just taunted the 400 prophets of Baal uh, on Mount Carmel because uh, they could not make Baal uh, burn down uh, their sacrifice, right? Uh, uh, maybe you should yell louder. Uh, maybe he's indisposed and he can't uh, hear you. Uh, maybe he's using the men's room. Uh, maybe he's away on a holiday. Uh, yell louder. And they danced around with lances and cut themselves and bled out uh, trying to get Baal to uh, burn up their sacrifice, and he could not. And then Elijah simply prayed, and God rained down fire and consumed Elijah's waterlogged sacrifice and the dust and the rocks and everything that was around it. Uh, God consumed that. And Elijah saw all of this, and then he ordered his men to kill the 400 prophets of Baal, uh, which they did. It seemed like total victory. Uh, but then uh, wicked King Ahab and his evil and despicable wife Jezebel heard about it. And Jezebel said, uh, I will do to you within 24 hours what you have done to my prophets. And so Elijah naturally feared, or we would think naturally, after he had just seen what God had done, uh, maybe it was not right for him to fear. But fear he did. And so he ran into the wilderness uh, and he fled for his life. And God sent angels to feed him uh, and to encourage him to rest on the way. And then uh, Elijah walked 40 days to Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai, the place where God gave Moses the law. And when Elijah got there, God said to Elijah, Elijah, 
what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Uh, and so Elijah was so worried because he had heard that, Ahab, or thought that uh, Ahab and Jezebel had killed all of the prophets, everybody who was among God's faithful, and that he was the only one left, and so that he needed to run for his life because they were going to kill him too. And so he was alone. Uh, he was depressed, and he was afraid. And that's the context here as we read in uh, Romans 11, uh, 2 verses 4. Now, many of us have felt the pain of being alone, of being afraid, being depressed, but, but God is with us no matter how we feel. We may feel alone, we may feel depressed, uh, but do you think God wasn't watching Elijah run those 40 days to Mount Sinai? God was with him the entire time, and he told him so when he got to the mountain. Uh, God never leaves us alone. God assured Elijah that he was not the only one left. Uh, God told Elijah that he preserved 7,000 people for himself who had not pledged allegiance to Baal. Now, Elijah didn't know who they were. He didn't even know that they existed, but God did. And Paul reminded his readers that God always preserves a remnant. Now, this concept of a remnant, we're going to need to understand as we go through chapter 11. A remnant simply means a small part of the whole. It could be people, it could be fabric. If you've ever you know, made curtains or seat covers or whatever, uh, you've used the fabric and then what was left over, that's the remnant. And so God always preserves a remnant. Uh, Elijah's encounter with Jezebel happened some 900 years before Paul lived, uh, and God had his elect in Elijah's day. He had his remnant, and he also had his remnant in Paul's day. And what we see uh, from Paul's writing is that God always chooses this remnant by his grace. We see that in verses 5 to 6. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. For if it were, then grace would no longer be grace. So every elect Jew is part of God's remnant because of God's grace. Uh, you may have heard grace spelled out as an acronym. Uh, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. At Christ's expense, because he died on the cross, we get God's favor when we believe in him. And so this is simply the gospel. And it applies to Jews and to Gentiles alike. God saves simply because he chooses to. So salvation is not based on anything we do. Uh, works and grace are opposed to each other. They're different systems of trying to attain God's grace. And so if we had to earn salvation by works, then it could not be by grace. Jesus died for our sins, and he rose from the dead. And because we couldn't save ourselves, God provided a Savior for us. And God saves all who trust in Jesus Christ, and not in anything that we have done for our salvation. And that is God's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, let's just think a little bit more about this concept of God's grace. Jesus prayed in the garden to God. Father, please uh, let this cup pass from me. Father, if there is any other way, uh, Father, I don't want to go through with this. Is, is there some other way that we ac can accomplish this goal of saving mankind? Do I have to go through with this? Uh, this was Jesus's pain in the Garden of Gethsemane, but this was also their plan from the beginning. Jesus had to go through it. He had to go to the cross. He had to die to save us 
from the penalty of our sins. There was no other way. Now, if we say that we can save ourselves by our own works or by anything that we can do, or that our works somehow earn us merit, then what we're saying is that Jesus died for no reason because there was another way. It means that God allowed wicked men to kill his son for no reason because there is another path to salvation. So how do you think it makes God feel when we say that we are good enough on our own? Uh, We've got this list of great works that we've done and uh, this resume, this Christian resume, and we say, uh, God, uh, you would sure be doing yourself a favor to let me in because look what a good guy, look what a good gal I am. How insulting is that to God when we use our performance uh, to think that that is the way to heaven when the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ? So we are separated from God until we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we will continue to be separated from God unless we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. He takes on our sin. He gives us his righteousness. He builds the bridge that covers the chasm between us and God that we could never cover ourselves. It's because of God's grace that we're able to cross over into heaven for all eternity. And it's because of grace that God chose us to believe in Jesus. He's elected us Gentiles. Those among you who are Gentiles, most of you, I assume, uh, we can all be saved. He's elected us Gentiles because of grace, and he reserves a remnant of Israel by his grace too. So we've looked at Paul's evidence, three pieces of evidence that he's provided so far. Uh, God saved Paul. Uh, a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. If he saved Paul, he's not done with Israel. God foreknew his people. Uh, He cannot reject anyone that he has foreknown. And he always preserves a remnant by his grace. And the proof of that is Elijah. So Israel is God's chosen nation. The Jews are God's chosen people. And but most of Israel still throughout history is not saved, right? That seems to be a problem in our minds. Most have refused to believe. And what follows here in verses 7 to 10 that we'll look at is how Israel got it wrong. It's not that they didn't pursue God. It's just that they went about it the wrong way. Uh, It is possible to be sincere and still be sincerely wrong. So let's look at verses 7 to 10. Look at Israel's failure to receive God's grace while pursuing a righteousness which is by works. Verses 7 to 10. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see, and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Well, let's first acknowledge that the Jews were a very religious people, right? The the Jews are not a case of people who just didn't care at all about God like the pagan Gentiles. Uh, The Jewish life revolved around ritual worship and service of God. And so the people of Israel sought God, but there are different ways to seek after him. Uh, One is to pursue God by faith, uh, trusting in Jesus for salvation and not in anything that we have done. Before 
Christ, the, the way of salvation, was still by faith. They believed God. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, and so that's how a faithful believer worshiped God, through obedience to God, uh, through obedience to the law after Moses and the sacrificial system. Uh, and the result is their salvation. So one way to pursue God is by faith. The other way is to pursue God by works. The problem with Israel is that they pursued God on the basis of their own accomplishments. Now, they were very religious, but they turned their performance of the law into this personal resume that they thought that they could rely on to access heaven. And they also relied on their heritage, convinced that because they were descended from Abraham, they would get into heaven. Remember that great scene in John chapter 8 where, where uh, Jesus says that you think that you are uh, going to heaven because you're the children of Abraham. And Jesus told them that is not so. You are actually children of the devil. Uh, and so being uh, relying on, on your heritage from Abraham is not something that they ought to be relying on. Uh, but Israel took the law and they took their heritage. And then instead of being a blessing to the nations, they isolated themselves from the nations and uh, relied on themselves and, and their righteousness uh, and their heritage uh, to, to try to earn God's grace. And they refused to receive Jesus as their savior because he was not the Messiah that they expected. And what did God do? As they continued in their sin of rejecting their Messiah, God hardened them. Now, we have already talked about this concept of God's hardening in Romans already. Remember, all the way back uh, January of 2020, when we were in Romans chapter 1, we talked about, uh, Paul, Paul talked about uh, how God handed people over to the consequences of their sin. They repeatedly hardened themselves against God by their conduct, by their actions, to the point that God hardened them as retribution, as punishment. It's as though God said, fine, if it's sin you want, I will let you have your sin. I turn you over to your sin so that you may have it and its consequences in full. And then in Romans 9, we talked about it again when, when Paul was talking about Pharaoh. Uh, Paul used Pharaoh as an example of God's hardening who he wills. Uh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart while Pharaoh was hardening his own heart against the Israelites. Remember several times, Pharaoh promised to let the people go, and then as soon as Moses prayed uh, to have the plague lifted, uh, then Pharaoh again hardened his heart against Israel. And so God's hardening of hearts may seem cruel to us. Uh, it may seem inconsistent with his character, uh, but God has a purpose for his people. And he says of Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, this was back in chapter 9, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. And so uh, Paul wrote that about Pharaoh, quoting what God said about Pharaoh. Now, hardening is a difficult concept, uh, and I'm not standing up here to make excuses for God or to apologize for God. Uh, God is sovereign. God does what he wants to do. He elects who he elects, and he hardens who he hardens. But let's also remember that he gives people what they deserve. We all deserve hardening because we all love sin. And it's pure grace, the pure grace of God, that he elects anyone and doesn't harden everyone. Just think about our country today. 
Our culture, our culture, not like first century Israel, is, is completely and unashamedly irreligious, right? Uh, the number of people in our country who identify as either uh, atheist, agnostic, unchurched, unbelieving, continues to rise every year. And it shows in our national morality, doesn't it? Uh, who would have believed 50 years ago that we would have legally murdered 60 million babies? Uh, who would have believed that human sexuality would become like an all-you-can-eat 24-hour buffet? Uh, who would have believed that the communism and the socialism that the greatest generation fought so hard to defeat would now be seen as the antidote to the evils of capitalism? Uh, who would have thought those things 50 years ago? But we are witnessing God's hardening of our hearts as a nation as we continue to persist and increase in ungodliness and wickedness against him. And so, brothers and sisters, we had better be praying for revival because I believe that God's hand of judgment is on this nation. Well, in verses 7 to 10 here, God, uh, Paul talked about uh, God's uh, judgment on Israel. And Paul used examples from the Old Testament to describe God's hardening of Israel. Uh, Paul quoted in these verses, 7 to 10, from three of its most revered writers. We have Moses here, we have Isaiah, and we have David, all referenced in these three verses. Uh, so Deuteronomy 29.4, which is where uh, verse 7 comes from, says this, But to this day... The Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or hear. Now, isn't that something? Uh, Deuteronomy is written to uh, a bunch of people who had gone through the Exodus, survived 40 years in the wilderness, and are about to cross into the promised land, and God still has not given him, them eyes that see or e ears that hear, even though they had seen God's miraculous works. Isaiah 29.10, uh, where 7 and 8 come from as well. For the Lord has poured over you a spirit of deep sleep. He has shut your eyes, the prophets, and he has covered your heads, the seers. And so again, another example here uh, of how God has uh, not opened their eyes. Uh, the, the gist of Paul's argument is that uh, uh, God brings upon sinners, the NEB says, a, a, a numbness uh, of spirit. And here in the NASB, we see a spirit of stupor so that their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear. And we're going to learn God's purposes for this as we continue to study Romans 11. Uh, and then Paul took, Roman, or took verses 9 and 10 from Psalm 69, 22 and 23. May their table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, may it become a trap May their eyes grow dim so that they cannot see and make their loins shake continually. Well, these verses predict uh, that the gifts, which should have been a source of blessing to Israel, would become their cause for stumbling. Uh, this table that is referenced here is a metaphor of all of God's blessings that had been heaped upon Israel, like a table would be full of food. Uh, and so the table uh, should have led them to Christ, the law, the covenants, the patriarchs. Uh, but instead of pointing to Christ, uh, they equated the law with performance and they equated the patriarchs with heritage. And so Paul showed them their error. Remember back in chapter 9 when he was talking about the difference between Jacob and Esau. God chose Jacob over Esau before the twins were even born and had done anything good or bad. 
So it's not on the basis of works. And Jacob and Esau had the same mother and the same father. And so it's not on the basis of heritage either. Salvation is by faith in Jesus. But God's gracious provision of the law, the covenants, the patriarchs, that all became a snare to Israel, a trap for them as they relied on that uh, rather than receiving God's son, Jesus Christ. And so their backs will be bent under the weight of guilt forever for those who have not received him. Now, it's really uh, a terrible tragedy uh, that the God-seeking Jews who, who sought him so earnestly sought him by their own works, and God holds them responsible for their failure to choose Jesus. And God has rejected Israel because of its sin, but God's rejection of Israel is not total. God was saving Jews in Paul's day, and he's even saving Jews in our day. And what we see is that anyone who receives Jesus Christ is uh, God's elect. Now, do any of you know any Jewish believers? I know that some of you do. You know that we used to worship, before we bought this building, we used to worship at a place called Eitzkheim. Uh, Eitzkheim is a building on the other side of Route 75, and we were there for a while. Uh, Eitzkheim is a congregation of Messianic Jews, Jews who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They call themselves Messianic Jews or completed Jews, Jews who uh, are Jews, Jews by heritage but have received Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so they are evidence that God is not done with, with Israel. And there are many of those like them uh, even today. So God's rejection of Jews is not total. Uh, God is still saving Jews, and he has a plan for them, which we will see over the next few weeks. Now, most of us here, I assume, are not Jews. We're Gentiles. And so uh, we thank God for his plan uh, because God set Israel aside for a time so that the Gentiles could come in. And if it were not for that, we wouldn't be sitting here, right? God has elected us uh, while he has set Israel aside for a bit. So we should be grateful that God has a plan for us too. And God chose us, and because of his grace, we believed. But we know that there is a future for Israel, and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. Uh, so a couple of points by way of application. And one is that God offers Jesus to all people. All people can claim the victory Jesus won on the cross over sin. And that includes Jews and Gentiles, male and female, a slave and free, young and old, every color of skin. All we have to do is confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And immediately, when we ask Jesus to be that Savior, he will forgive our sin, indwell us with the Holy Spirit, and secure our place in heaven forever. And it is tragic that many of the Jews have rejected Jesus. So we should be praying for Jewish people to receive Jesus. Uh, Molly has a lifelong friend uh, who is a Jewish lady, uh, and it just seems like God is doing something in her life, and so we continue to pray for her. Uh, and you may have Jewish friends or acquaintances or neighbors or co-workers who you might say the same thing about. We should be praying for them. We should pray for all unbelievers, Jews and Gentiles alike, that God would give them eyes to see by God's grace. Salvation is all by God's grace. And then secondly, let's recognize that God is not done with Israel, but he's not done with any of us. I'm so thankful that God was not done with me uh, years ago when I was living at, as a heathen and thumbing my nose at God. Uh, 
he could have hardened my heart and I would have had no defense. I would have fully deserved uh, whatever God did to me. Uh, so God was so gracious to save me and he's so gracious to save each and every one of us. Uh, so let's not take our salvation lightly. Uh, it's no small thing. Uh, only God could take a hardened heart and turn it back toward himself. Uh, our salvation though, is not the end of our story, right? If God was done with us, he would have called us home. He's got work for us to do, which is why we are still here. So ask God to show you the work that he has for you to do. Maybe he wants you to step out of your comfort zone, do something you've never done before, serve in a way here at Grace Redeemer that you think, I don't know if I could do that. Well, if God gives you the impetus and the strength of the Holy Spirit, you can. Maybe he'll do that in your neighborhood. Maybe God wants you to start a neighborhood Bible study, knock on your neighbor's door. Who knows? Ask God what he wants from you. Praise God that we will spend eternity with him because of his grace. God did not give up on you and he did not give up on me. So let's, let, let's not us give up on any unsaved person that we may know. We keep on praying. We keep asking God to do a mighty work in their hearts. If he could do it for us, well, he can do it for them too. Do we believe that? Amen. Amen, Amen brothers and sisters. Lord God, we thank you for our salvation. Just as Israel's existence today is against all odds, Lord, our own salvation is against all odds. And for some of us, the people we know, we look at their lives and we say, that's an impossible case. There's no way God could save that person. Well, God can save any person. God, you could save me. You could save them too. And so we lift up the unbelievers, Lord. We lift up this country. Uh, we pray for revival. We lift up the nation of Israel, Lord. Uh, they are a secular nation. Uh, they have not followed Jesus, and we lift them up to you, Lord. Lord, we lift up this whole world to you, that you would do just the most remarkable work, and that people would uh, see their sin, turn to you, and be saved, Lord. We will not find our salvation in politics and presidents, Lord. We will only find it in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray these things in his precious name. Amen.